All right, so I want you to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 18. My message today is called Challenged. And we're going to share a story later on from Jesus' ministry that uh, is unique. It's basically unlike any other story, and we're going to put words in Jesus' mouth, or his words, that just don't seem right, that uh, we're going to find in its somewhat of a shocking story to some people, say, well, yeah, I've heard that story before, didn't know much about it. But um, sometimes Jesus speaks to us in ways that, like, what? You know, I thought you were just going to come down and do everything for me. Just work it all out, just get it all in order, and um, it'll all be taken care of. But no. How many of you like a good challenge? How many of you like to be challenged? You got competition in your heart. It's just like, wow, throw down the gauntlet. I'm ready to go, right? You turn anything into a challenge. You're just driving on the highway and somebody in the other lane starts to go by and you can't help yourself. Next thing you know, you're speeding up. They're not gonna pass me. They're not gonna get to that stoplight first. I know we're all gonna stop, but you're not gonna get there first. So there's some people, you know, that's it. Or maybe you're like me, I, I, I'm not really competitive, but if you ask me, I'll take up a challenge. I enjoy games and challenges. Um, because of my phlegmatic personality, I have to tell you when I'm excited, but, <laughs> you know, that's, I, I'm not usually the one who will seek or initiate the competition or the challenge, but I'll take it. And then there's some of you that if you're challenged, you just back away. How many? It's like, I don't like challenges. I'm just going to back away from this. Yeah, there's people like that. But I'll tell you something, God likes challenge. In fact, the more you look in Scripture, the more you find, I began listing some things and I thought, I got to stop or I'll never get through this message, passages that talk about God challenging us. So, turn to Genesis chapter 18. We see this challenge, in a sense, comes from God. And God just lays it down. He made a promise to Abraham and Sarah that they would be the father of a race of people, but they don't even have one child. And it's about 24 years down the road, and God said they would, but they don't. And it's like, we can't have a whole kingdom of people, a whole nation of people come from us if we don't have one child to start. Something's got to happen. So they had to come up with other ways, and many of you know some of the story of Abram and Sarah, and uh, the, they tried the Hagar thing, they tried, had it off on his son, or his, his servant, Eleazar, none of it was working. Finally, they just kind of laughed and said, well, I don't know, this is never going to happen. But God heard, and God came down, and Genesis chapter 18, and verse 14 says, as God came to speak to them, he said, is anything too hard for me? Now there is, there is a lay it on the line challenge. Go ahead, name me something. Try, try to come up with something that's too hard for me. Is anything too hard for me? And of course we all say, well, no, of course not, God. We, 
We've always been believing you. No, you haven't. Or I wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> God challenges us to believe for something, to trust that something that's not happening is going to happen. Or Abraham and Sarah could have just walked away. Go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. God's word to Abraham and Sarah was, is anything too hard? God's word through Isaiah to a man named Ahaz. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, meaning he'd spoken to him already. And listen to this. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. What? No, we're not supposed to ask God for signs. God said, ask for a sign. Let it be deep as hell, Sheol, or as high as heaven. Ask me for something. What he, he wants to do is he wants to prove himself. They say, oh, God doesn't need to prove. God wants to prove himself to us. That's what the cross is all about. God proving his love to the world. God proving his grace. God proving his mercy and his compassion. I want to do something. Ask me. There's your challenge. And what did Ahaz say? Look at the next verse. I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And then Ahaz found himself cursed. He lost everything that God wanted to do for him because he would not take the challenge. God wants to do things, but he needs you to take up the challenge. Amen. He said, ask me. And Ahaz said, no, nah, I'm not going to. How many of you are familiar with uh, the Israel during the time of the wilderness? They wandered in the wilderness for like 40 years, right? You all familiar with that? And so most of the people know that, you know, they wandered around. Do you know why? Because they wouldn't take God's challenge. I want you to go into the promised land. I'll go with you and I'll anoint you. I'll be with you. I'll, I'll take care of everything. I will cause you to overcome your enemies. And they said, no. No, we don't want that challenge. We're going to stay here. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they refused to take God's challenge. You know, maybe you've got something in your life. Maybe you've got an issue in your life. Do you need to take up God's challenge to trust him, to believe in him, to find the principle in his word he wants you to believe in or trust in? Listen to this story, John chapter 4. Even Jesus came and shows this principle. John chapter 4, verse 46. So he, that is Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made water wine. Well, there's a miracle. And if he can do that, what? Wow. It's pretty impressive. The Bible says it was the beginning of miracles, the very first one that he did, to prove himself. 
And so where he had made water and wine, and at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, first of all, this man is a member of Herod's court. You know, Herod and that whole group weren't real firm believers. But he came to Jesus, just like Christina talked last week with Jairus, a Pharisee, coming to Jesus. There's many others that came to Jesus. They, weren't, they didn't really fit the group that was supposed to be. This man comes. Listen to Jesus. Again, this is these strange words. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Wow, that's kind of that's harsh. <laughs> Couldn't he just said, your son's healed? Why did he have to throw this, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe? Because people were coming to him just because of the miracles. They didn't believe his mission. They didn't believe that he was the Christ and the Messiah. It's like, hey, Jesus, do us a miracle. Later on, they wanted them to feed him after the feeding of the multitude. Then the people wanted him to come and feed him again. Hey, we'll just follow Jesus around, and every day he'll just give us loaves and fishes, Chick-fil-A, you know, the biscuit, uh, those biscuits you get in the morning, yeah. loaves and chicken. But Jesus challenged this man. By not responding to what he asked, he challenged the man. Are you coming to me just because I can do signs and wonders? Is that all you want? Just some miracle that I'll just do like it's some kind of magic trick? Jesus challenged him. And the man took up the challenge. He said, sir, come down before my child dies. He didn't run away. He wasn't offended. He came there to have his child healed, and he's going to stay there. No, I believe. I believe that you can do this. I believe that you want to do this. Come down before my child dies. Now, it was a day's journey from where he was to where his child was. We'll find that out later in the story. Jesus loved the expression that this man gave. Jesus said, go, your son will live. The man believed. All Jesus said is, go, your son will live. The child is a day's journey away. He didn't have a cell phone. He can't text his wife to see if it's happened. He just has to go back to Cana. Or back to Capernaum. And so he comes and Jesus says this, and the man believed, and then he went on his way. Now, if you read the rest of the story, he's on his way home the next day, around noontime. And so it's the next day, around noontime, a servant meets him on the road, 
and says, Master, your son is healed. And the man said, yeah, I know. What time was it? I said, yesterday about this time. He says, yeah, that's when Jesus said, go, your son is healed. The man believed. He took up the challenge instead of saying, that's harsh, that's too hard. I just came to you to rub the genie and you do something for me. Jesus challenged his faith. Do you believe? That's what he was asking this man. Many times when Jesus ministered, if you follow through the gospel stories, you find Jesus healing out of his mercy. And a lot of times, he just, he just came into a situation, and out of his mercy, he healed people. He didn't ask anybody's permission. He didn't ask if they wanted it. He just walked up. He raised a young man from the dead, just walked up to the funeral procession, touched the young man, and the man rose up. Nobody asked him to do that. He just did. And many times, Jesus would come into situations, and out of his own compassion, he healed people. That's great. So sometimes we get the idea, well, I'll just, I'll just wait here, and Jesus will show up, and in his mercy, he'll come and do something for me. He'll do what I need. Or, <laughs> other times, Jesus ministered in response to their faith. They came believing that he would do something. They came with faith. The man that was let down through the roof, the paralytic on the bread, on the bed, he said, their faith, their faith has made you whole. They believed. And so he commended their faith. And so they brought him. Many people came to Jesus in faith, believing. The woman with the issue of blood, she came believing that if she touched his garment, she would be whole. She was. So there are times Jesus did it out of his mercy without asking. There are times when he waited on people to have faith. There are other times where he called people to faith, like this nobleman, like Ahaz in the story. He called them to faith. Now, all of this is by his grace. No one earns it. We're not, we're not deserving of God doing something for us. It's all grace. Grace says, I'm going to do this because I love you. And he's going to show us his grace in many different ways. But sometimes his grace is waiting on us to take up the challenge. Grace doesn't mean, well, if God wants me healed, he'll heal me. If God wants me delivered, he'll deliver me. If God wants something straightened out in my life, he'll do it. If God wants to restore our family, he'll do it. If God wants to save my children, he'll do it. No, you can't just sit and wait. That's not grace. Grace is God's offer. And his grace is accessed by faith. By faith. It is by grace that it might be by faith. God's grace responds to our need. So, God offers a challenge. He responds to our desire. He responds sometimes to our request. 
He responds sometimes to our just coming to Him, throwing ourselves before the Lord. Ever done that? Just, God, I, I, I don't know what to do. I just need you. I need you to do something. We just throw ourselves before the Lord. He does this in response to his offer, or could I say, to his challenge. Okay, so what I'm going to bring up on the screen now is side-by-side passages, one from Matthew and one from Mark. And so you're going to see both these passages. I hope they're easier to read up here than they are back there. But anyway, um, Matthew chapter 15 and Mark chapter 7. Now, if you just look at, at the passages, you can see that sometimes in order to get the full story in the gospel, you got to read both accounts, or sometimes three accounts, and sometimes all four accounts. So you have to read all four of the gospels to get all of the words, because Matthew says some things, but then Mark says some things that Matthew doesn't say, and vice versa. Once in a while, they say the same thing. So in this story, we got to read this from both accounts. And so Matthew chapter 15 starts in verse 21, and Mark chapter 7 starts in verse 24. All right, so I'm going to read the Matthew account first. And it says, And going out from there, Jesus withdrew to the parts of Tyre and Sidon. Verse 23, or 22, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of these borders, cried to him, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a demon. Now, let's read the Mark account. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And it says, And he arose from there and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered into a house, and desired no one know it, but he could not be hidden. All right, so there's information that wasn't in Matthew. And then verse 25 says, For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by race, and she begged him that he would cast the demon out of her daughter. So we get both these accounts and we get the full picture of the story. Jesus went to this region called Tyre and Sidon. Well, if you look on a map, this is about 70 miles north and west of Jerusalem, about 30 miles north of Galilee where Jesus had been. And so he went to this region. Now, the region of Tyre and Sidon had been the old kingdom uh, of Tyre where a woman named Jezebel was a high priestess. Ever heard of the name Jezebel? Yeah. And so Jezebel had a king named Ahab, and she was incredibly wicked and filled with demonic uh, pagan worship and practices. She's the one that gave Elijah such a difficult time and even lived into the time of Elisha. And so this woman Jezebel uh, was a priestess of this religion that continued even to the time of Jesus, um, a incredibly wicked religion. And I'm going to drop it there. 
because their practices are so evil and vile that I don't want to really describe them to you, but incredibly evil. So it's no real question that her daughter would be somehow troubled by demons. Demonic things filled these temples and filled that region. She's not Jewish. She's Canaanite. She doesn't belong to that, and by calling her Canaanite, which no longer was a nation, but it refers to the fact that she continued in the practice of that religion. And so she was Canaanite in her religion, and yet, there's Jesus. Why did he go 30 miles out of his way? He went outside the borders of Israel, the only time in his ministry, Why would he go all the way to this place? What led him to lead his disciples? Now, I don't know about you, but I've kind of picked up by reading a lot of the Gospels that the disciples probably didn't care much for this. They didn't even like going through Samaria, let alone going to this pagan city in the north. And I could see them on the entire way, like, I don't want to be here. Why do we have to be here? Can we just go home? I think it's time to go home. Jesus, there's nothing happening here. We need to go back. Uh, uh, Jesus, we took a vote, and we say we shouldn't be here, and so we don't think you belong here. Uh, this isn't a place for us. Uh, do, you know what, do you know what these people do? I can hear them mumbling. That's just me. I like to, I like to put stories into what I read. And so here he is in this place, And listen to the next part, verse 23 in Matthew. It simply says, and Jesus did not answer a word. He didn't answer a word. And his disciples begged begged him saying, send her away. For she's crying after us. We don't want to be here. So send her away or send us away, one or the other. We don't want to be here. But she was crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. Now this title, son of David, was a messianic title that belonged to the Jewish people. And for them to call him the son of David was to say, we believe that you're the Messiah. We believe that you're the one that God was sent. You're the one that God was going to use to redeem us. And so this is, a, this is a phrase that belonged, in a sense, to the Jews. It didn't belong to her. She's not Jewish. He's not her Messiah in that sense. She's not descended from David. It's like she was picking up a formula or a slogan. She was using a name like it was some kind of a magical art. It's like a formula that we could pronounce. Son of David, have mercy on us. My daughter. And Jesus picked that up, and we can see that from his response. He didn't answer. He wouldn't answer. She's begging, and he's not answering until verse 24. Is that on the screen, verse 24? Yeah. 
Matthew 15, 24 says, he answered finally and said, I am not sent, can I put it there, to you. I'm not sent to Tyre and Sidon. I'm not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Messiah was going to come to Israel. Now, ultimately, is he the Messiah for the world? Oh, yeah. Yes, he is the Messiah for the world. But at this time, numerous times in Jesus' ministry, he talked about the fact that I came to Israel. I came to the Jews. My words are for the Jews. And so, Jesus came, in a sense, to Israel. He said, and that's the only ones I'm not sent to you. Now, he answered who? He didn't answer the woman. He answered his disciples. They said, send her away. He said, I'm only called to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But he answered in such a way that the woman heard him. So Jesus is sounding like, why, why would Jesus say that? Why wouldn't he just say, certainly bring your child. Let me, let me deliver her. He didn't say that. Instead, he throws down a challenge. This is part one of the challenge. First, he didn't listen to her, but the first part of his challenge is, I didn't come here for you. I am not sent to you. How many of you would get up and walk away? That's pretty offensive, isn't it? For Jesus said, I'm not sent to you. It's like, wow, that's, that's not building my faith, Eddie. You know, I thought, I thought you were full of love and compassion and never rejected anyone. And, and I thought, I thought, I thought, this just doesn't write. Oh, he's not finished. I didn't come here for you. Now, here's Jeff. I'm going to put some words in her mind. And here's the words that I want to put in her mind. Then why are you here? If you weren't sent to me, then why are you here? Why did you, why did you come to Tyre? Why did you go 30 miles out of your way, 60 miles by the time you get back home, if you're not here for me? Why was Jesus there? Can I ask you that question? Why was he there? Anybody got an answer? For her. He was there for her. It's just that he threw out the challenge. I didn't come here for you to come to me in that way. I'm not your magical formula. I'm not some slogan. I'm not some genie that you can rub and get something from me. Jesus was calling her to faith. Amen. Do you ever feel like you've been called to faith? That it's like, why isn't this happening? I thought, you know, if God wanted me healed, I'd be healed. If God wanted it done, it'd be done. Where is it? God's waiting for faith to arrive. He wants to see it building in you. 
That's one of the reasons why I love our worship before the service. Because worship causes our faith to rise. We sing about this glorious God. We sing about a God full of love. We sing about a God full of wonder. A God who loves us beyond anything we can imagine. So that our faith is building. Our faith is building. And if you think praise and worship is just a time to waste time or, or casually come when you're ready to come or just listen, you're wrong. The purpose of worship is to build your faith, to find your faith arising even as you're listening. During worship time, many times I, I think of things, it's like, wow, God, you're so good. So Jesus waited. He didn't answer. And I believe in this waiting, he was waiting for these things to happen in her head. Jesus is kind of watching the wheels turn. Maybe she's staring at him, trying to come up with the next phrase. You didn't come except to the lost children of the house of Israel. If you're not here as the Messiah for me, then why are you here? Why didn't you stay in Israel? If you're not here to do something, what are you doing? How many know when we come together, the Bible says where two or three are gathered, what? Answer for me. Where two or three are gathered, what? There am I in the midst. When we come together, he's here. Why is he here? To do something. (laughs) He wants to do something. Say, well, I don't know. I don't have much for him to do in my life. Well, good. Then let him do it in somebody else's. Again, we'll go back to the story of Israel in the wilderness. Did you know in those 40 years, as they wandered in the wilderness, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that the rock, listen to this, the rock followed them in the wilderness. That's what it says. Go read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, around verse 2 or 3. The rock that followed them. And what, did, what happened with the rock? Anybody know? What came from the rock? Water. And so here they are in the wilderness, 40 years wandering around, and every time they need water, what? There's the rock. Now I know you say, well, it only says two or three times. Well, they didn't tell you everything that happened every day for 40 years. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the rock followed them, and that rock was Christ. That's what it says. That rock was Christ. So here's God challenging them. There's the rock. You need water? Speak to it. Speak to the rock. You'll have water. That water was there. What would they do? They get to a place. There was no water. It's like, oh, God, you don't care about us. You've forgotten about us. You know, weeping and crying and wanting to put Moses to death. And all they had to do was drink from the rock that God had provided. That was the challenge. There's the rock. What are you going to do about it? Well, here's Jesus. Can I just say it that way? Here's Jesus. What are we going to do about it? 
What do we want? He's present. He's present by His Spirit, the gifts and the manifestations of the Spirit to minister to us, to help us, to take care of our needs. I don't know what needs you have. Those who are here, those who are online, those may be watching later. There's a miracle. I'm speaking to people who aren't even watching yet. But they're going to. And you know what? They're going to find themselves challenged because that's the message today, challenged. So are you ready to really see something strange from Jesus? Go to the next passage, verse 25. Then she came and worshipped him. Verse 25, she came and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. All right, okay, I thought I, thought I didn't come for the children of the house. Better. I thought that was bad enough. But what? <laughs> to throw the children's bread to the... Are you talking, you talking to me? <laughs> are you talking about me? Is that... Did you just call me a dog? It's a strange story, right? Now, many of you have read that. Some of you think, what in the world? This doesn't sound like anything you ever heard from Jesus. Look at the, look at the Mark account, verse 27. Mark chapter 7, and look at verse 27. Jesus said to her, let the children first be fed, for it's not right to take the children's loaves and throw it to the dogs. All right, so if one account wasn't enough, you got two accounts. And they agree. Now you can say, well, I'm going to read this in the Message Bible. Okay, number one, don't. It's really poor and not very well presented. It's, you think this is harsh? <laughs> say, well, I'll, I'll try another translation. You can, but the story's going to end up the same. Still the same thing. The dogs? All right, first of all, let me straighten out a little something. The word dog, if you look it up in the Greek language, is actually the word puppy. Puppies. And both times it appears in both Gospels, it's the word puppy. It's the Greek word for dog with a diminutive, which means little ones, little dogs. The puppies. Now, in Jesus' time, dogs were not really household pets. They were scavengers. They lived in the dump. They ate the garbage um, because they didn't have garbage collection on such and such day of the week. So there was garbage in the streets, and the dogs were there. And so you didn't allow the dogs in your house because they were probably kind of mangy and whatever. So. But the puppies, they'd come in. Why? Because the children would bring them in. What's in that basket? Nothing. What do you got in that box? Nothing. What's under that blanket? Nothing. Why is it moving? I don't know. Just wind. 
puppies came in, and the puppies would gather at a certain place. Listen to her response. Jesus said, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the puppies. And immediately, this woman's, these wheels have been turning. You're not here, but why are you here? Why did you come? If you didn't come to do something, what's going on? She's putting this together, and finally she makes her statement. Look at verse 27. And the woman said, true. All right, I'll take that. But even the puppies, not dogs, even the puppies eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Go over to the Mark account, chapter 7, verse 28. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yet the puppies under the table eat of the children's crumbs. Okay, everybody ready for cuteness released? Put my picture up. There we go. Yeah. Now I know, you're not supposed to give your dogs table food. But, the dogs know where to get it. If there's a child at that table, the dogs are right there. You might not, but your kids will, especially the food they don't like. <laughs> now, when I was growing up, we had these, these things called lima beans. I've, I've tried to describe those to some of the young people on staff. They have never seen a lima bean, and once I showed them, they decided I don't ever want to see one. Now, I know I'm offending a certain group of people that's right here in the auditorium or watching online because lima beans may be like your favorite food. First of all, lima beans can be no one's favorite food. <laughs> you might eat them, but they cannot be your favorite food. I'm just, I'm just saying, right? That's... They were the most disgusting thing that my father would sit before us at the table. And we had a little dachshund. Well, she wasn't little. She was quite well fed. And so she would sit down there, and there were times I would sneak food to her. So did my mom. My dad didn't like it, but it, we tried not to let him catch us. But when it came to lima beans, Gretchen walked away. Like, nope, I am not helping you here. That's, that's, that's all on you. <laughs> that's, that's not dog food at all. I'll eat, okay, I won't even get them what dogs eat, but I won't eat those. So, what's this woman saying? Why are the puppies under the table? Because the children don't want everything. They reject things. They, oh, I'm sorry, that fell on the floor. Oh, I didn't mean to knock that off. And it ends up on the floor and the puppies eat the crumbs, the food, 
that the children don't want. Now let me, let me bring this home. What is this woman saying? There may be people who don't want what you're offering, but I'm sitting under the table and I'm ready. You can feed me and I'll take what you have to offer. There's others who don't want it. That's their choice. The children specifically here had to do with Israel. And so many of the people of Israel didn't want what Jesus was offering. Leaders of of Israel, they didn't want it. Nobody cared about it. But this woman says, I'll take your challenge. Because if they don't want what you're offering, I do. And we live in a world that is full of rejection. If it comes from some demonic way, if it comes from some natural way, if it comes from some invention of man, we'll take it. But if you're asking me to believe God for something, I don't think so. No, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. I don't believe in supernatural healing. I don't believe in God, you know, delivering my children. I don't believe in God intervening. I don't believe I need to be saved. I don't need this Jesus stuff. I don't need it. Well, you know what? I'm under the table. I'll take it. If others don't want it, I'll take it. I believe in the power to heal. I believe in God's power to deliver. That's what this, this message is really about, demonic possession. You say, well, I don't know, we, we don't believe in demonic possession. Jesus did. It was real for them. I believe it's real today. But you know what? Jesus can heal. And he didn't even go to the house to go through some kind of rigmarole to get the demon to come out. He just spoke and said, your child's healed. I'm getting ahead of myself. She said, the puppies eat what falls from the master's table when others don't want it. If they don't want it, I do. I'll take that challenge. You're offering healing? I'll take it. You're offering deliverance? You're offering peace? You're offering restoration? I'll take it. Just because others don't doesn't mean I won't. Listen to the end of this story. Verse 28 in Matthew. Jesus answered and said, Woman, great is your faith. I have to believe a smile came on Jesus' face and excitement. It's like, you got it. Great is your faith. Mark records it a little bit differently. Mark said, for this saying, verse 29, for what you just said, I love that. She said, I love what you just said. Can I use that in a sermon somewhere? Because of what you just said, go. The demon has gone from your daughter. She just didn't even be there. 
didn't have to go and intervene, work some kind of ritual. She said, go. Your daughter is healed. Why? Why? Because you wanted the crumbs that fell from the master's table. I'm offering healing. I'm offering deliverance. I'm serving restoration. I'm serving forgiveness. I'm serving salvation. And just because others don't want it, doesn't mean you can't have it. I'll take the crumbs. I'll take the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Now, let me closing points here. Jesus did not respond to her begging. She begged him. She cried. She tried to use a name that didn't belong to her. Some magical formula, some slogan. He didn't respond. Jesus doesn't respond to manipulation. He does respond to faith. And here's, here's the part of this story I love. Jesus stayed there till she came to faith. And she stayed there till she came to faith. That's beautiful. He waited. And she worked at changing, reasoning. Just because something doesn't happen in my life, I'm not going to walk out. I'm going to take the challenge. Jesus, you said you'd do it. I'm here. I'm here for the long haul. I'm going to wait. I know I don't deserve this. But you didn't come here because I deserved it. Not only did Jesus come, he stayed. He didn't walk away. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought there would be Jews here. I guess there's no Jews. I'm gone. He waited till she came to a place where she understood the mercy and the grace of God. I'll take the challenge. Many people ignore what God has offered. They scoff at the promises of God. Are you serious? You believe that Jesus stuff? I've never heard a phrase kind of like that. You believe that Jesus stuff? You believe in this gospel thing? You believe that a man that 2,000 years ago could die and save you from your... You, you actually believe that stuff? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. Call me a puppy under the table, though, if you want to. I'll just wait, because I believe it. The last song we sang, So Will I. That's one of those songs I can hardly get through without tears. But I love just that last phrase. I mentioned it in a worship break. You're the one who never leaves the one behind. Jesus went out of his way for one person. Is there one in here today that says, yeah, I'll take what you have to offer. I'll take what you have to offer. How many in here today would say, yeah, I'll take, I'll take your healing grace. Let me see your hands. I'll take healing grace. How many would say, yeah, I'll, I'll take your provision. I need provision in my life. I, I'm in need. 
I'll take that provision. God, I need peace. I got so much junk going on. How many would say, yeah, I need the peace. I'll take the peace. You came to offer it, I'll take it. Restoration. My life is so broken. My family's broken. Everything seems so broken. God, I'll take your restoration. Put it all back together. Because I can't. I've tried and it just gets worse. God, I need you to restore. He never leaves the one behind. If that's you, he's not going to leave you behind. And maybe you need his saving grace. Maybe you need that power of salvation. We're going to give an altar call in a little bit. But if you need his saving power, he's here to save today. If you've never given your life to him, this is the day. Be a puppy under the table, ready to receive. And all of this, all of this wouldn't be possible if it was not for the cross. When Jesus ministered to this woman, it's because he was going to the cross. He was doing all of this out of the fact that he knew what he was going to do. He knew what would be the result for the joy that was laid before him. He endured the cross.